Welcome to the Open Book Unbound podcast. Hi, Marjorie. Hi, Claire. How are you? Okay. How are you today? I'm good. I've got an enormous cup of coffee sitting here this morning. It's been a really busy week for us at Open Book this week, hasn't it? We've been really busy with all of the new groups and setting up our online systems and our first Unbound broadcast and newsletter. We've had loads of terrific feedback um, on the first podcast. We've been collating that and we're going to go through some of that at the end. So hang on to the end of this podcast if you'd like to hear our roundup of your comments from the last one. Yeah, and thanks so much for everyone for writing in. We're really delighted and overwhelmed to see so many uh, people come back to us and respond. And it made us feel much more like we had you in the room with us than just the two of us sitting chatting about the story and the poem. So please keep those comments coming. So this week on our podcast, we're going to do three separate pieces. We're going to start with a poem by Billy Collins and then have a story by James Robertson and finish up with a poem by Sigrid Sassoon. I think we should just go straight into it. Yeah, let's. I love this one. Okay, so this is a poem by Billy Collins, who was the Poet Laureate of the US from 2001 to 2003. And it's called, I love it when poets do this with their titles. The poem's title is... Another reason why I don't keep a gun in the house. And I'm going to read that again because I feel like it's part of the poem. Another reason why I don't keep a gun in the house. The neighbor's dog will not stop barking. He is barking the same high rhythmic bark that he barks every time they leave the house. They must switch him on on their way out. The neighbor's dog will not stop barking, I close all the windows in the house and put on a Beethoven symphony full blast, but I can still hear him muffled under the music, barking, barking, barking. And now I can see him sitting in the orchestra, his head raised confidently as if Beethoven had included a part for Barking Dog. When the record finally ends, he is still barking, sitting there in the oboe section, barking, his eyes fixed on the conductor who is entreating him with his baton, while the other musicians listen in respectful silence to the famous barking dog solo, that endless coda that first established Beethoven as an innovative genius. So I didn't know this poem at all until you sent it over this week as a suggestion to go with the story. And when I first saw the title, I thought, holy <laughs> moly, what on earth is Marjorie up to? I think she might have pitched this a little bit wrong this week. And then, of course, I read the poem and thought, oh, no, it's perfect. It's so funny, but so clever yeah. as well. Yeah, I love that the way the title distracts. You know, you think it's going to go one way and it goes another. And it's actually quite, you know, it's something someone would say, thank God I don't keep a gun in the house because of that dog. You know, when you're kind of in your pitch of fury or annoyance it's a kind of nod to the crazy things people do or at least the, the acknowledgement that they might be willing to do something crazy so I love that kind of title the long titles that kind of set you off on the wrong foot almost I also love the way that he uses the word barking over and over in the poem so that almost as a reader you get annoyed by it too so you know that even at the end it's like the famous barking dog solo rather than the just the dog solo yeah so it just punctuates. So we hear the barking right through as well in places where you don't necessarily expect it. So it kind of jars, if that makes sense. 
I don't know. I feel like we get the same annoyance in some way. He's trying to annoy us in the same way. And I love that idea that the dog owners switch him on <laughs> as they go out. <laughs> Have you seen that funny YouTube video? It's someone who's put on a, like a webcam in their house. And when they leave, the dog gets up on the piano and bangs on the piano. And no, I haven't. <laughs> it's really funny. And it's like, they say bye-bye and shut the door. And, like, cause, and they discovered it only because the neighbors complained. They obviously set up a webcam to try and work out whether the neighbors were just being pains. Sure enough, when they left, they shut the door, the dog gets up on the stool and then bangs on the piano with its paws and starts howling. <laughs> so this is what made me think of this. It's really funny. But I also think it tells you a lot about the poet in that he envisions, Beethoven, you know, puts on Beethoven to try and drown out this dog. And that, that, that funny moment where everyone's like stopped and respectfully listening to, you know, the solo, which, you know, you, I know you and I yeah. both go to concerts a lot. So I can envision a whole orchestra stopping to listen to Nicola Benedetti or whoever on the stage, you know, and they all have this kind of face like, oh, yes, I must be respectfully listening. So I loved this poem and I just thought it, I thought it was a, it was, yeah, it's a great way to think about how we deal with interruption. I certainly don't deal with it in this way. I just get annoyed. And I suspect he does too, which is a kind of giveaway about the title. So although he's saying something funny about it and the kind of barking dog solo and everything, you know, the title must tell us something else about the way he feels about the dog barking the whole time. So yeah, I love that kind of yeah tension between I must try and find something funny about this, but also I better not keep a gun in the house. Yeah. So let's move on to the story, which is a completely different thing, but hopefully um, listeners will work out why we've connected the two. Sure. So this is part of a project called 365, where James Robertson wrote a story every day for a year. Each story has 365 words in it. And Aidan O'Rourke and Kit Downs wrote accompanying music for each piece. I'm going to read part of James' story from March the 17th today, but if you want to hear Tam Dean Byrne read it and hear Kit's and Aidan's music along with it, then you can log on uh, to the website where all the pieces are, and the URL for that is 3-6-5.net, and that's in words not numbers. And you can actually subscribe so that each day uh, one of the stories and the little piece of music arrives in your inbox. So it's a, it's a really nice thing to do. So the one that we're going to look at today is called self-control. Self-control. At the interval, as the applause dies away and people begin to make for the exits, the woman in blue turns and smiles nicely at the young man behind her. He and the girl beside him are the last to stop clapping. Did you enjoy that then? Oh yes, it was very good. Wonderful. His hair is black and unruly, his jaw unshaven. He has some kind of foreign accent. She already knows this because before the concert started, he leaned forward and asked if he could see her programme. She felt exploited, but as she and her husband had only glanced at it, she felt she couldn't refuse. He took it eagerly. Thank you, thank you. After a few minutes, he returned it. Thank you, he said again. You like the pianist, the woman says. The pianists, along with the conductor and orchestra, took three bows. 
He is genius, the young man tells her. This is why I must hear him. It is hard to come to this concert, but I must. You've come a long way, you mean? No, I mean expensive. He laughs. I am student. I do not eat for two days, but it is worth it. Obviously, he must be exaggerating. It fits with his borrowing, her programme. Should we stop there just for a wee second? Yeah, it makes me think about a friend of mine who gets annoyed when people borrow programs in concerts saying, why don't they just get their own? And I always think, oh, what difference does it make? It's, you know, if you arrive and you, particularly if you arrive late to a concert and you don't have time to get a program and, and you've forgotten what you're listening to. I'm not sure I like this woman already. I'm not sure I like her. She seems quite patronizing. Yeah, I mean, the, the bit where she says, obviously, he must be exaggerating. It makes me think, actually, he must not be exaggerating if he's borrowed the program. You know, it fits, the idea that it fits yeah. with his borrowing her program is wrong, I think. If he's saying he hasn't eaten for two days because he's had to pay for the ticket, it fits with him borrowing the totally. program. Um, we used to go to concerts when the kids were really small. And again, probably didn't have the money for them, would ask for the tickets for Christmas from my parents. And it was an, it was just an escape. You know, we were, we were always late to the concert. Not late. I, I should add, not late, but would arrive as the bell was ringing because we'd yeah. put kids to bed and run out the door and across the meadows in Edinburgh and literally run to get there and slide into the seats. People were forever annoyed that we were late, you know, arriving as the bell rang. You know, and then sort of older folk would always say to us, so did you enjoy that? As if we didn't know the music or hadn't done our homework because we just turned up. So I kind of, I bristle at that kind of a comment. I see here as an older person that's sort of patronizing saying, oh. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you do go to concerts, the majority of people in the concerts are older and they do have this sort of, oh, well done for coming along, dear. Yes. And that idea of some kind of foreign accent doesn't feel kind in some way. You said the word exploited. She felt exploited because someone borrowed her program. Seems She's the one that seems exaggerated. I don't know. She also seems irritated that her husband had only glanced at it. And I guess maybe it brings to mind a certain kind of person who doesn't bother to try and identify a foreign accent. Yeah. Maybe, she'll, maybe she'll come good in the end, but I'm not sure. Do you want to read so, on? And see yeah, she... let's read on. The woman in blue's husband says, shall we get a drink? In a minute. To the student, she says, it's a shame that the andante was spoiled. Spoiled? He looks astonished. By the sniffing. She nods at the girl. Your friend sniffed all the way through it. The girl says, I did not sniff. It was very distracting. No, the student says, she did not sniff. She only cry a little. When the movement finish, she cannot help it. It was so beautiful, the girl says. You should learn more self-control, the woman in blue says. She is still smiling nicely. When you come to a concert like this, to a place like this, you should be more considerate of others. It was the music, the girl says. She looks as astonished as the boy. The woman in blue stands. Yes, gin and tonic, please, she says to her husband. Shall we go? Nope, she hasn't turned it round for me, I'm afraid. Oh, I really dislike her now. If I thought I didn't like her before. And it mm -hmm. seems like her turning now that kind of, did you enjoy that then comment, was just leading up to this complaint, don't you think? I mean, why did she even engage in the conversation other than 
to sort of be mean. To make the point that her something was ruined for her. And then, even if you thought someone was sniffling, or, you know, I have to admit that I get annoyed when people unwrap sweets in the middle of something. Because um, I think, well, I'll just unwrap it and get it over with, rather than doing it really slowly and ru- ruining a whole minute. But then if I, if I discovered that there was some other reason for it, the kindness would kick in. Or, you know, if I discovered it wasn't someone sniffing, but someone crying, I would think, oh, isn't it lovely that you were so moved by that? Yeah, I always think it's really naive to bring a bag of sweets and wrappers. <laughs> like, clearly, you should be going for something that you just open the bag at the beginning and there it is. Yeah. Or, you know, even worse, when someone opens a bag and then opens it again, and, and you can hear it's like Skittles or something, you know, and they keep clinking. But, you know, I it depends on the concert and it depends on, for me, it's, I'm making myself out to be one of these baddies, am I? <laughs> um, it depends if it's an afternoon concert full of kids, like I just, whatever goes. And I love those kinds of afternoon concerts because you always inevitably get the oldies as well who turn up with their packed lunch in, in the interval, open up their Tupperwares with their sandwiches and cups of tea. And I can't wait to be one of those people. I have to say, I haven't got there yet, but I'm getting there. Um, but also, as we were talking about with the Billy Collins thing, I was thinking about music that's really difficult. You know, if you're listening to something that's really difficult, where you probably do need the program to explain to you what yeah. the artist intentioned or the composer's intention was. Again, I think in the audience there, you've got rearrangement of faces as well. People are trying to have a serious space and trying to take something seriously. But when, you know, there's, there will be a percentage of the audience, if not sometimes a big percentage of the audience that just don't get it. So again, I wonder if people have to re- have that. I'm really taking this seriously. I'm listening hard. You know, I've got to think of something clever to say about this on their faces rather than, you know, just acknowledging that they're not engaging in some way. Yeah, and, I liked the story, though. I enjoyed it. It made me smile to myself. Yeah, it did. And, and, and it helped me. It, it just underlined my kind of bias against older ladies in blue who feel they have a right to an opinion and don't like it when you borrow their program. There we go. We can't be that or else we'll have to decide to be other kinds of old ladies in blue when we go to concerts when we're older. We'll turn around and offer our program out and offer to buy people drinks. How's that? I was going to say offer the sweeties, but... <laughs> Not in wrappers. <laughs> or I'll have to get rid of that prejudice. Shall we read the so last... We f- yeah, let's finish off with the last poem, which is a complete change, I think. It's a Siegfried Sassoon poem, and I'll just read it and then we'll work out, try and figure out why it might or might not connect with these two. It's called Everyone Sang. Everyone Sang. Everyone suddenly burst out singing, and I was filled with such delight as prison birds must find in freedom, winging wildly across the white orchards and dark green fields, on, on, and out of sight. Everyone's voice was suddenly lifted, and beauty came like the setting sun. My heart was shaken with tears, and horror drifted away. Oh, but everyone was a bird, and the song was wordless. The singing will never be done. I think I like the idea that everybody was singing in this one, rather than, you know, one person making the noise. Yeah, and Siegfried Sassoon for me is really associated with war poetry, I guess probably is with most for most people. Yeah. And it was such a sort of peaceful and gentle poem that, again, that's twice this week that you've made me have an unexpected response to what I had preconceived ideas about what was coming next. Yeah, I do think of him as a war poet. And also I think of him as someone who 
tells us about the horrors, but also in this one, it feels like a really apt poem for just now in lockdown with everybody doing, I mean, of course it's not war. And I get annoyed when people describe this virus as a war. There are moments of collective kindness, particularly those who are well, who are staying indoors to look, try and protect others feels like a kind of collective kindness. And also to remember there will be moments where everybody's voice sings again. It's a good thing, you know, in the kind of difficult times. What I love about this poem, the one thing I really, which is a kind of geeky poet thing, I, I was expecting the word flight in it. And in fact, we get white and sight, but we don't get flight. And I feel like the absence of the word flight, because there's a natural rhyme in it, kind of buoys us because we're waiting for it as listeners or as readers. We're waiting somewhere in my head. I was waiting for the word flight because it just feels like it's supposed to come next, which makes me feel like it fits with the form. It fits with the theme of birds and singing and flying, if that makes sense. So that's my kind of geeky poetry take on this poem, why it works to hold me till the end. And it's quite a short little poem as well. I just really enjoyed the sense of lifting. I guess that's what you're saying about flight being there, that whole sense of movement and moving up and away and beauty came like the setting sun and the drifting away. And it was just a really peaceful and graceful piece of writing. And I think um, it was it's one of these poems that I enjoyed so much more hearing it aloud than I did on the written page. Yeah, there's that beautiful rhythm to it, which feels like a song too in some ways. So I think the sound of it, the rhythm of it also underlines what it's about. I don't think there are that many options as to how you would read it, if that makes sense. Whereas lots yeah. of other poems, you can think about where to break. Here, it's just, it's very musical, really. And that idea that everyone suddenly can burst out singing is a lovely thing. Again, I think part of the reason I chose it was obviously because for me, it's about song and about collective music making, but it's also about a collective activity. And in the short story, it felt like the collective activity was listening. It harkens yeah. back to an audience full of people and the collectivity there is listening and taking in something. And this feels like an even more, or a more positive take on that, which is that everybody's collectively doing something that brings joy in an active way rather than a passive way, which feels particularly nice at a time like this. I find the expansiveness of it really comforting as well. Again, in current times when we our horizons have all been shut down a little bit for the moment. The idea of on and on and out of sight and the singing will never be done. For me, just really, I felt an opening up in the words and in the poem that I really enjoyed. I agree. And it feels like that's about where we're going. You know, there is kindness and it will continue to be kindness in this time. And even when this pandemic ends, that, that will continue or else when the next one comes or the next great problem comes that you know it shows us what the bottom what's at the bottom of us which is a kind of kindness or a care for other people in a way that we might not have experienced or acknowledged eight eight or ten weeks ago and that's for me what's gonna gonna go on and on and the song being wordless means that it could be anything it doesn't have to actually be a song and I wonder if this whole scenario that we find ourselves in is making us look at these sort of poems and this sort of writing in a different way. I wonder if we would have taken exactly the same out of it in different circumstances. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that when I read it before, it was just about war. You know, I've only ever read his work thinking about the horrors of war. So, yeah, I think going back to these sorts of things and thinking, what do they tell us now? And that's the great thing about poetry, right? That's the great, that's true of poetry that stands the test of time is that it just doesn't speak to the time in which it was written, but it says something to us 
in the time in which we live. And so it's not just a historical experiment or a historical acknowledgement of what life was like then, but it still has something to teach us now. Yeah, and I, I mean, I love the idea of looking at things through different lenses at different times of our lives. I sometimes come across poems that I read, for example, when I was at school, and what I get out of them now and what I take from them now is so entirely different than what I did then that, you know, there's a great joy for me in going back to visit things that I think I know well and finding that actually... I don't really know them at all. Yeah, that happened to me this week. I read Adrian Rich poem, and she's a poet I've loved for years and years. I was reading a poem of hers, which I know very well, Diving into the Wreck, and there's a, there's a moment of it in it where she says, in this, the 49th year of my life, which gave me a real jolt because I thought, this is the 49th year of my life. Probably too much information, but anyway, it's the 49th year of my life. And the poem says something completely different to me now than it did when I was 20. And I maybe understand it in a different way because I'm seeing it at the age that she was when she was writing it. So that was a real jolt for me to remember that there's this huge gap, but that this piece of text still speaks to me, you know, in a way that matters. So who knows what it'll say to me in my 69th year if I'm so lucky. A little note in your diary to read it again then. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'll still back. be reading. Report back. <laughs> yeah, I'll let, you, I'll let you know on the Unbanned podcast. So we've got a few questions for you. The first is about the story. We wondered if you believe that the young man hasn't eaten for two days, but thought that it was worth it. Is that realistic? Is that believable? Not sure. We'd love to hear from you on that one. And also, I'd love to know what music you thought was being played on stage uh, when you were listening to us read it. And I have one question about Billy Collins' poem, which is just really, what do you do when an annoying noise comes through and you're trying to drown it out? Do you have a way of drowning out? Have you got any helpful hints or tips? Or have you got a funny story of your own about trying to get rid of a noise when you're trying to do something else? We'd love to hear about it. And of course, do feel free to come back to us with any other comments, questions or feedback on any of the things we've talked about today or indeed anything at all. We're just loving getting the chance to interact with everyone and to hear what you're thinking and what you're doing. You can get in touch with us on social media, through Twitter or by emailing us at info at openbookreading.com. Okay, shall we have a chat about the feedback, the wonderful uh, feedback and input we've had this week on Twitter, by email, and within our online groups? Yeah, we've had some great comments come through. Um, thank you so much for those. Uh, one I particularly liked was um, someone saying that it, listening to the podcast gave them the sense that they were sitting in the room with us with a cup of tea, which is really nice. So we hope you all have a cup of tea. The one that sort of jumped out at me is someone wrote in and said, I usually listen to podcasts on the go, but this was a lovely escape to unwind after a hectic day. And again, that, that was just such a lovely thing to hear because really that, that's a, what we're hoping that you'll get out of this, the, the podcast that we're doing, that you'll feel like you're sitting in the room with us, having an unwind, having a chat, having a read of some lovely poetry and, and some fiction. My mum in California um, actually came back about the text and was saying she's been in lockdown for quite a while now um, as an older person. And she said the text about the cycling made her feel like she suddenly had gone out. You know, she just you know felt like she'd had 10 or 15 minutes of being on a bike as someone who used to cycle quite a lot, getting away, getting out and getting away. Is, and she finds, like me, being stuck in a house quite difficult. And it reminded me, Claire, do you remember 
uh, our very first open book group, they were a group of women who insisted on reading Andrew Gregg's By the Loch of the Green Cory. Is that what it was called? Um, yeah, that's right. We were like, really? You want to read this book? It's about fishing. You know, and they were the most unlikely group of women to be fishermen or fisherwomen because most of them had been nuns or were nuns, but had been teachers. Is that right, Claire? Yep, the majority were, were teachers, yeah, because they, they were able to, one of them was a geology teacher and she used to give lectures in relation to parts of the story where the descriptions were about the rock formations in Ascent. Yeah, and we, I remember saying, are you, are you guys sure you want to read this book? Because it doesn't seem to necessarily jive with your backgrounds or the sorts of things that you'd be interested in. And they were like, no, every week we get it, we read a chapter and we feel like we've been on holiday. Because mo- almost all of those women didn't leave the home at all. So that that was interesting to me. And then when my mum said, reading the text from the, the short piece from this week, or last week made her feel like she'd been out of the house and been on a cycle ride. It, it harkened back to that. It made me think, yeah, actually, sometimes texts do give us that, can fill that need, particularly just now. So that was a nice thing. I think at the moment, I, I certainly am finding it harder to concentrate on reading for long periods of time, which is normally what I would do to get into a different world. But I find listening to something is somehow a bit less demanding and a bit easier for me, and I'm managing to do that a bit better. It's funny, I was thinking, I didn't, we haven't spoken about this, but I find that true too. I'm, I'm really struggling to read in the same way that I normally would. And I wonder why that is, because you know, the last time that happened, it was probably when I had very small children or I was pregnant. You know, I, I just couldn't en- engage in the same way with longer texts. Uh, it's really true for me too. I don't know why that is just now. Um, we've had another long bit of feedback, which is really interesting, I thought, about a response to the text about cycling as well. And I'll read a bit of it out because I think it might be interesting for us to chat about. It says, I have a problem with people who cut themselves off from society. If the speaker doesn't care to interact, if she's turned her back on society and the responsibilities that social contract requires, then I'm not sure why the speaker feels she has a right to an audience. Um, It's fine to want isolation, but then why does she want others to know about it? Which I think is really interesting. And she's saying she doesn't necessarily think that she buys that the, the, the speaker there, that Lee, if she's speaking in her own voice, um, really does want to be cut off if she's carrying around a phone. I think that's an interesting question, isn't it? It's a kind of have your cake and eat it type scenario, isn't it? I want to be cut off. I don't want to engage, but at the same time, I want you to listen to what I'm saying about not engaging. Yeah, and that makes me wonder how often we exaggerate a particular situation in order to make for good writing or to draw a reader in to a particular scenario. But then the other question that I was just thinking about is what about, you know, what about writers like Nan Shepard or, you know, the great nature writers? There is, there is a kind of discordance there between the idea that, you know, someone spends their life on a mountain and then writes about it for an audience. I don't, you know, and I'm grateful. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that Nan Shepard decided to write that and that we all have access to it. And as we've talked about, you know, we're always stunned at who responds well to that, that particular text. Most recently, I think a group of um, men in prison have read through it and absolutely loved it. I just think it's an interesting question about the kind of person who spends time on a mountain and then decides to write about it for the outside world. I don't know. For me, though, the Nan Shepard's quite different about than than this in the sense that it very rarely makes reference to I or me or this is what I think and for me there's a much more of a sense of sharing the joy of nature 
in her writing. So the purpose of her writing is so that other people can take the joy. She feels privileged at being able to have access to the Cairngorms and to have access to nature. And her motivation is to share that with others and allow them into her world and her joys. And that, that's not the same sense that I get from the piece we read last week. Yeah, I actually, I think you're right. And I, I wonder too whether we should tell folks about some of the things that have happened in our groups this week, because we've had both online shared reading groups and a shared reading and creative writing group. We've had, I think, four online groups this week. One of them was our regular Grass Market Community Project group who managed to meet up and have an online session. And the other three uh, were sessions that we asked people to sign up for. Uh, and they all went brilliantly. We learned a huge amount about what works and what doesn't work and how we can improve the sessions. The ones this week all filled up really quickly and we had waiting lists. So watch out for our newsletter and for our website uh, which is www.openbookreading.com. And we'll post information about the groups that are running from week to week there. We'd love it if you could sign up and join us. Uh, one of the discussions that we had in the online shared reading group that I ran was around the question of luck. And one of the really interesting comments that someone made is that they don't actually like the term good luck or bad luck. They think that it doesn't help at all in terms of how you approach and how you respond to situations. And they sort of equated it with good weather and bad weather. There's nothing much you can do about it. You just need to prepare yourself to deal with it as best you can when it comes along. So bad weather to them wasn't bad weather if you had wellies and a waterproof rain jacket on. It was only bad weather if you'd gone out in shorts and a t-shirt. And they were saying at a time when it's really difficult to control what's happening around about you and there's so much uncertainty. It really just helped them to think of it as fate or what was happening and take control of how they responded to it. And they found that empowering so to get rid of the idea of good luck and bad luck and, and just focus on what their response to what was happening that's be. a lovely way. Yeah, that's a lovely way of thinking about it too. So you quite often say you can't change your circumstances, but you can just change what you do about them or how you how you respond. So that's a that's a nice way of thinking about it. In my group, um, we had a really interesting take on John's poem, which we hadn't thought about um, when you and I were discussing it earlier, which was to describe that Icarus story as a as a near death experience. So getting close to the sun being getting close to death or you know having a kind of one of these out of body experiences and then being drawn back to earth as an act of love really both by being drawn by love but as an act of love that person coming back and choosing not to go over which I just you know gave me the shivers it does make sense for John's poem as well and it was being said by someone who has had that experience which was very moving too it's amazing to me how um, even in a zoom session people you know, are so open and reveal, you know, have such interesting things to say. Um, if you put eight people in a space, even on a Zoom space, they all have such different takes on the same text. It's, it's just wonderful to see. I think the last thing we have to tell you, which is the last bit of open book news for the week, is that we've had um, great news on, a on the funding front, which means that we will be able to run these podcasts to the end of summer. And that means Jan will carry on being our writer in lockdown till the end of summer. And she'll be able to do um, 
a few other extra things. So watch out for those. And we'll be able to hopefully commission some new work around the, the Unbound program. So it just means we'll have new added things and we'll get to go for a bit longer. So we're really grateful and delighted about that. So watch this space for announcements. And I think that's it for this episode of Open Book Unbound. Thanks very much for letting us be in your ears again. We hope to connect again with you soon. 